Cool, Colossians 2, verse 1 to 5. So over the last uh, while, we've been, uh, last few weeks, we've been looking uh, to Jesus, which is really a good place to look. Uh, but the theme essentially over the last few weeks has really just been the person of Jesus. Uh, and this week feels like a kind of a culmination of the last few weeks as they uh, come together in this crescendo into this Colossians 2. Um, and so it's helpful for us to understand uh, the book of Colossians, this letter um, that Paul wrote in a town called Colossae. He wrote it roughly 60 to 67 AD, uh, about 30 years or so after Jesus was brutally killed um, and when he was ascended to heaven. Um, and in many ways, the book of Colossians, or the letter to the Colossians, uh, contains many similar themes to the letter to the Ephesians. Um, and so Epaphras uh, planted this church in Colossae. Paul himself had never been there, um, but he writes this letter to encourage them, saying that he wants to come and see them. Um, but he's writing this letter while he's imprisoned. Um, and so he's writing it from prison. Um, and so the letter to uh, the Colossians is broken up pretty much into four parts. The first one is kind of his greeting, his thanksgiving, and his prayer for them. Uh, part two, he talks about the supremacy of Christ and his own ministry, uh, which we'll be looking at today. Uh, he then follows that on about his concern for the church, that they should remain free in Christ um, and, and continue in that space. And then lastly, his call uh, to holy living, which has to be grounded and rooted in the fact that Christ is supreme. We can't try and live this holy life if that is not the case. And so this letter has many uh, kind of famous quotes that we know of. Um, and so here's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creations. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Uh, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Um, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, uh, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, and humility. Uh, whatever you do, work at with all your heart as working unto the Lord. Uh, all of those come from this book uh, to the Colossians. And so it's a well-known book and one that is quoted very often. Uh, my preach this morning uh, is strange in a way uh, in that in prepping on Monday, I just sought the Lord out and felt him lead me to a preach from Liberty in 2014. Uh, which I listened to. And so the majority of this preach really is from there, which is very strange for me. Uh, I don't think I've ever really based a preach on someone else's preach. Um, but I felt the Lord wanting us to, wanting to lead me in something, and I'm trusting that he's leading us uh, into something as well. And so as much as I can, I will obviously try to absorb it myself. But in many ways, the bulk of this preach is actually from another preacher, um, and which I will give us a little more info a bit later. Anyway, Colossians 1 verse 24. So if you just turn back a few verses... Colossians 1, verse 24 to 29, which is just before Colossians 2, which kind of gives us the, the lead into Colossians 2. I'm now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. Remember, he's in prison. And in my flesh, I'm completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom 
so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, our toil and our struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. I and for, the, uh, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale or your good order um, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so, for I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. And that, that term struggling means he has great conflict. Uh, one of the translations says, I want you to know the great conflict that I have for you. It's the Greek word agon. And for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And that, that word agon is where we get protagonist and antagonist. There's the struggle, you know, between the characters. There's this, there's this fight um, and in many ways, the more elevated version would be agony. I have this agony for you. And so the Greeks would name their theaters uh, where they would do wrestling and fighting would be the Aegon. That's where they would meet to wrestle and to fight and to race. Um, it's some, in that struggle, it's kind of like man flu, right? This great struggle, like there's no greater agony. I suppose if you consider childbirth, there may be some sort of minor similarity to man flu, but it's kind of this agony of man flu. And so I think we understand how much pain uh, Paul is talking about here. But he's saying that he has this kind of agony for these churches, which he has never met. And he has this heart that's yearning for them. And he struggles for them. And, and much of his struggle is through prayer. And so I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, how much do we struggle for others in prayer? We pray for others, Right? But I had to ask myself the question, how much do I struggle for others in prayer? In a, in a space where it seems like there's agony in me as I pray and hold people up in prayer, as I, as I pray on their behalf and present them before the Lord. How do your prayers look when you're praying for others? This is kind of, Lord, we just bless Matt as he leads his life group. Was there an agony that you're like, Lord, please protect him? Because leadership comes with many, many, many opportunities to fall into sin. And so in agony, do we hold one another up in prayer for our friends who are struggling, going through health issues? Do we, are we agonizing in prayer over them? Or are we like, Lord, oh, please heal them. I don't have it, so I'm all right. Was there an agony inside of us as we feel their pain? And come and present them up before God. And Paul is struggling for these people while he's in jail. I mean, if there's anyone who should have people struggling on his behalf, it's Paul. But he's the one struggling. Presenting them before God, saying, God, I want for these people these great blessings, which we will look at in a second. He's struggling on their behalf. And what is it that he's struggling on their behalf for? What is so important to Paul? For these people to have. And he says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love. 
I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. He wants to see their good order, how disciplined they're living as they should. They're staying in position and their firmness in the faith in Jesus Christ. He's, he's struggling because he wants them encouraged. Anyone here need encouragement? Anyone? Can we struggle for one another that we would be encouraged? That they would be knitted, united in Christ, together in love. He wants their lives to be in good order. He wants them to have firmness of faith. And above all else, he wants them to have assurance in Christ. And he struggles for them. And it's not for their salvation, right? This is settled. They're saved. And for many of us, we think when we come to faith, hey, life's going to be dandy from here on, right? Roses, kittens, everything's going to be lovely. But it's not. The real fight begins. He's not praying for their salvation. He's praying that they would be encouraged. There's a reality in following Jesus that things get tough. And so he's praying that through their struggles, that they would find this assurance, that they would find this comfort, this encouragement in Christ. And so he says, what do they need? They need to be encouraged in their hearts. Like a genuine encouragement. Not like, yes, I feel nice, but a genuine encouragement in their hearts. And if we skip over passages like this, right, we want to get to the ones where all the blessings come, we can miss what are sometimes the really potent parts of this message, which is the glue that kind of holds all those promises together, that actually there's a striving. There's a struggling for one another. We don't like that part. We just want the blessings, all things turned for good, for those who believe in the Lord and love Him and are called according to His purposes. That's what we want. But we miss the part where we have to struggle for one another. And so we ought not to skip over these because Paul wants us to have a Holy Spirit Jesus-empowered encouragement that lasts. Anybody want that kind of encouragement? The encouragement we get from series, the encouragement we get from whatever our pastimes are, they don't last. But the encouragement from Jesus, the genuine heartfelt encouragement which Paul is yearning for, he wants us to have. If I think of Pete who in many ways shaped my early walk with the Lord. One of the vital relationships in my life that shaped me and formed me. He's the one who showed me that Jesus is the most compelling person to ever have lived. Jesus is the most compelling person. He's the one who taught me the importance of reading. That it's important for us to fill our minds with understanding. That we don't get saved and then check our brains out at the door. A Pete phrase. But that we come in and fill our minds with understanding. He taught us the importance of people, that even if you're an introvert, it's not good enough because people are important to God. And so we get to move into a space of holding on Jesus because people are important because Jesus says they're important. And he's the most important person in our lives. Pete taught us that loving and serving others is the highest calling we can ever pursue. To serve and to lay our lives down for other people. He taught that ministry and loving and serving the body of Christ 
is one of the greatest things we can do with our time, to serve the body of Jesus. And it may not be glamorous. Matt, is it glamorous week after week? No. Everyone in his life keeps going, what do you mean it's not glamorous every week? I'm there every week. But it's not glamorous. But it's beautiful and it's worth it. Pete taught us that money does not rule your life. That money is to be used in the service of Jesus and to bless those around us. If you know Pete, he taught to face the future with faith. And if there's any man who's living out what he preached, it's Pete. He taught a word called possibilitarianism, which Gregan very often repeats in our family. It's not a real word, but it's about becoming a person that in Christ, everything is possible. And Pete also taught me a love for curry. Thank you for that, Pete. I do appreciate that. And so there is a key and vital relationship in my life that shaped me, that helped mature me, that God was incredibly kind to gift me with. And then on the 4th of August, 2013, Pete had a stroke, which changed not just his life, but his family's life, the church's life, the lives of all of those around him. His world, Howard Brown's world, the church's world, was irrevocably shaken. And that's the reality of it. You kind of go back to what was, and for many of us, we've had the same experiences in our lives. Something's happened and you can't go back. Something has irrevocably changed. What do we do now? We need encouragement. In those moments, we need encouragement. But genuine encouragement, not fake encouragement, which we can all smell a mile away, right? It'll be, everything will be all right while it's actually not all right. But we all are desperate for genuine encouragement that comes from the Lord. And so Paul says in these moments, what you need is encouragement, which is a little bit of an anticlimax, right? You're thinking, we need some miracles, baby. He's like, no, you need encouragement. My prayer as I struggle for you in prison is that you would be encouraged. And the reality is that there are people around us who are encouraging, yes? And it's definitely an absolute gift from the Lord. Sometimes we wake up encouraged in the morning, about 10 o'clock we're discouraged, right? What is happening with the world? It's only 10 o'clock, it's all falling apart, I woke up in such a good mood. And our lives are ruled by our emotions, on a super high the one moment, super low the next. We beat the All Blacks, right? Super high. Wait till the World Cup comes. Please, Lord, keep us high. But our emotions are fickle. Discouragement is everywhere. It's a dog that hounds us day after day, minute after minute. And so when we are discouraged, we should not be surprised. Discouragement is after us. Deep insecurity and deep discouragement wants to control our lives. And Paul's saying, I am fighting in prayer that those would not overcome you, but that you would be encouraged. 
you would be raised up. To follow Jesus requires courage. This encouragement is when our courage is taken away from us. And to follow Jesus requires courage. It requires fire in our bones. Like those disciples, as Jesus opened up the word to them, and they're like, did not our hearts burn inside of us? They were encouraged in Christ. And the way Paul's going about this is in prayer. Praying earnestly, agonizing for his friends, who he's never met, but knows how much they're going to need encouragement in the Lord. Pete would often say that sin and Satan's entire job is to bring us to a place of insecurity. To take us from a place of security to a place of insecurity. We wake up encouraged and full of joy. Moments later, something happens. Discouragement. No more joy. And Paul knows how much we need this. And so he says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding or to reach all the riches of full assurance. And so where do you get your assurance from? Because every one of us gets discouraged. Every one of us. Even the super happy guys who are happy all the time have moments of discouragement. Some of us are more prone to greater moments of discouragement purely by temperament. And that is a fight that we have to fight. But when you're discouraged, where do you look for assurance? Where do you look to be encouraged again? And there are three places that we look, right? The first one is inwardly to ourselves. We look to ourselves to be assured again. And so you may look at your wisdom. You may look at your own intelligence. You may look at just how kind you are to other people. You may look at your personal capacities. You may look at whatever it is. But you look at something about yourself and go, oh, no, let me just remind myself how great I am so that I don't feel so bad anymore. And we find something inside of ourselves to help us to overcome this discouragement and to be assured once again. But the moment the first trial comes, that thing's out the window again. And so it's this roller coaster of emotional chaos. And we've all been there, and I don't think any of us really like that, do we? No, we don't. We don't want that. But we rely upon ourselves. And some of us might look in the mirror, you know, and we like suck ourselves up. We can do this thing, right? You're a good man. You can do this thing. You're going to take on the world today. If you look at our social media posts, it's people trying to suck themselves up that everything's okay. Take away all of that social media and look behind it all, and people's lives are struggling. People are discouraged. People are hurt. But we try and work ourselves up. But when we look inwardly, it's a fickle attempt at assurance. I'm fickle. Even my own assuring of myself. And I am cursed with self-confidence. It is in there. But there are moments. And it's fickle. I can't sustain myself. Your emotions abandon you when you most need them. They abandon you. And so looking in, unhelpful. So we start looking outward, right? We look at our mates. We look at people outside of us who can encourage us. Look at our external circumstances. Well, everything's not so bad, so just feel better. Does that work for anybody? No. Just feel better. It doesn't really help. So we look to family. We look to friends. We look to relationships to try and get encouraged. But it doesn't work. 
It doesn't sustain us. Paul says he desires so badly that he's struggling so badly that they might be united in love. And so the reality is that there is an encouraging that happens amongst us when we're united in love. And it's a good God-given thing. But when that good thing becomes an ultimate thing, that our entire happiness and assurance is based on the unity of this family, we've made a good thing an ultimate thing, and that becomes an idol. The body becomes the head to us, and we lose the head. And so it's good that we encourage one another, and Paul's prayer is that that would happen. But he's saying keep this thing in its rightful balance. We know that you can't have a brow with one coal, right? And summer's coming and we're going to start having the brows. You remember those things we used to have a few months ago? Brows, barbecues for some of us. They're going to be amazing, but you can't bry on one coal. And for the same, our assurance and our, our encouragement in the Lord can't happen if we isolate ourselves from believers. God calls us into family, into life groups, into this body that we may encourage one another and be built up in him. And that's his desire for us. And so there will be people in your life who encourage you. Michiel, incredibly encouraging guy. If you're feeling bad about life, go hang out with Michiel. There are very few people who will celebrate your successes with you. Without him getting jealous, without him trying to undermine you. There are some of us who are prone to mockery, but it's a, it's a gift of love, hey, Matt? Not Michiel, though. He speaks you up. He speaks life. But not if you try to find him at 3 a.m. in the morning and ask him to cheer you up. Then he gets aggressive. I wouldn't know. But Michiel can't sustain our assurance. He can't sustain your level of joy and encouragement in the Lord. He can't do it. It's right for us to encourage one another. And Paul writes in all of his other letters to encourage one another, build one another up in love. But it can't be our ultimate go-to that builds us up. It can't be our ultimate go-to. So we can't look in. doesn't help. Looking out, Paul says, I am absent in body. So he realizes we're not going to always be there for one another. We're not always going to be there. And so he's, he's pointing us to the fact that there's got to be something else. And so we can't look in. doesn't help. We can't look out. It doesn't help. So where do we look? Where's the only direction left? To look up. That's where Paul's trying to get to. He's saying you've got to understand who you are in Christ. You've got to be part of a bunch of people who encourage you. But your ultimate treasure is up. Our ultimate eternal assurance is up. And he's asking us and he's yearning for us to grasp that truth and to grasp that treasure. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. That's where he's saying our ultimate long-term assurance will come from. It's locked up in the person of Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. Jesus is the treasure that brings to us this assurance that Paul is praying for. But the trick is that Jesus is not one coin, right? He is a huge, vast treasure of coins. 
And when we come to salvation, we get this first coin. I'm saved. My eternity is secure in the Lord. And that's a good coin to hold on to, and every one of us needs to have that coin. Otherwise, we're broke. We're eternally broke. However, that coin is not all of the treasure that is held in Jesus. He's got many truths for us, which are coins to us. But if you've got this coin of eternal salvation, so I'm saved. When you hit financial trouble, you can say, well, it's fine, I'm saved. But that doesn't solve your financial trouble, does it? Anyone? Try that, I'm saved, I have an eternity in heaven. You know, the streets are made of gold, that's awesome, because your bank doesn't agree. They're like, okay, and where else is this gold? Can we see some of it, please? But I'm saved. Okay, cool. And so we get this coin, but what Paul's saying is that there's a treasure in Christ that has to apply to every single situation of our lives. But we only hold on to one coin. And his call for us is to dig into the riches that are contained in Christ. If we come to meetings and gatherings like this and we receive Jesus, it's good. But then the journey begins of us delving into the riches that are contained in Christ. And so many of us know the stories of these big piles of gold in caverns and what protects the gold. Mystical, it's mystical, it's okay. The dragon, right? So it's in the Hobbit, but it's broader than just the Hobbit. The stories of these caches of gold being protected by the dragon. And in many ways, this treasure is Jesus, and the devil's going to do everything he can to prevent you from getting, firstly, that first coin of salvation, but he refuses to allow you to get any other gold coins. He wants to scare us off. He wants to keep you away from the treasures that are contained in Christ. And God, through Paul, is saying that for every single situation of your life that contains discouragement, that contains hurt, that contains anxiety for you, that builds up depression in you, the solution to all these things is held in Christ. Our problem is we only hold on to one coin and we don't dig into the fullness of who Jesus is. It begins a journey with him. And it's not a removed truth, right? These coins are truths that contain value for us. And God's desire for us is that we don't walk around with one little coin. Because when our boss says to us, there's a big job coming in, but would you mind using that second invoice book? What do you do? You go, well, I'm saved, so that's secure. Let's use the second book. Or do you also hold on to the coin that Christ is calling us to righteousness, to be a people who are holy? And as you hold that coin, you say, that treasure is far more important to me than using the second invoice book. And so that becomes a treasure to you 
But the beauty of these treasures is that we get to share them with one another. So if you only are newly saved and you only have this coin of salvation and your boss asks you, use the second invoice book, you have a family of believers around you who have their own stashes of coins for you to go to and say, this is what's happened, what do I do? They come out and go, look at this coin that I found. This coin means that as I am included in the family of God, his call for me is to be holy because he is holy. This is the truth. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to tell you to stop sleeping with your girlfriend because it's, it's bad. It's a treasure in Christ that if you don't do that, there's fruitfulness and blessing in God that supersedes this little assurance you're going to get from this little moment in bed. There's a gold coin that I want you to inherit. And so we get to share these truths, these gold coins with one another. Not because we're trying to hurt each other, not because we're jealous of one another, because we want fat wads of cash one day when we get to heaven. Let's go look at this treasure I have in Christ. He's taught me all these things. And Ani was praying at prayer meeting this morning that just the sense of apathy over the church, not this church, the church, that we're happy to be saved and to gather together, but there's an apathy of digging into Christ to get these treasures, to live in the fullness, that we would be encouraged in these things, that when he's calling me to holiness, it's not because he's a horrible God, it's because he wants to make me rich, rich in him. And I pray and we yearn for one another that we would not be distracted by the devil, that he would not convince us to toss that coin of holiness back at him and go, I don't need this one. I'm saved. Let me just hold on to this one coin. And I fear for many of us, myself included, that the dragon has managed to get me to throw some of those coins back into the pile. And I'm not holding on to them anymore. Or for some of us, the smoke has made those coins a bit dull. And we don't see them so clearly anymore. We don't hold on to them as these treasures that are so valuable to us. All the truths contained in here. The truths that God has given us to see us walk in freedom and in blessing. That we would walk in the full riches of what He has for us. Because those riches last. That assurance lasts. But it only lasts if we truly value the coin. And so every time we meet here on Sundays, that's what we're doing, right? We're dispensing coins to one another. This is the truth. This is the truth we can hold on to. This is the truth we can hold on to. And we have the option every time we come here is to take that coin and go, it's all right, thanks. I don't need this coin. I don't know what that preacher was on about. I don't need this coin. Or we take that coin and go, Lord, I don't fully understand this, but I know this is a truth from you. I know this is a coin of value. Make this real to me. Make me value this coin. And that requires the Holy Spirit, yes? None of us receive these truths by our own intellect and go, that's a great truth. I'm going to receive that. I'm going to drop that into my heart. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. And so the way for us to receive these coins is to submit ourselves in humility before him. And to say, God, these are your truths. They, my life is a wreck. 
I'm not living in this permanent joy that you're talking about here, Lord. Clearly, there's nothing wrong with these coins. There's something wrong with my pile, my one little coin over here. It doesn't deal with the situation I find myself in now. But when we find ourselves in those situations, to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters and go, I need a coin for this situation. Help me find it. Let's go together into this cave because there's a, there's a big pile going on here. Yeah? One of these coins is going to help me in this situation. Help me find it. And together we seek the scriptures. Together we pray for one another. Together we learn. We seek the Lord. We fast if we need to. We agonize for one another. Putting food aside because your welfare is more important than my food. That we may find this coin for you. I get nothing out of it. It's for you. Because it's going to unlock something. That the power of God can enter into that space. That the joy of the Lord would be your strength. But we have to earnestly love one another. Otherwise, I'm not going to give half the time to pray. Am I? No. If I don't love you, and I don't want the very best for you. But this is a community that genuinely loves one another. There is this bond of peace. And so I know as I look around the room, there's a couple of people who are going through some intense stuff at the moment, but haven't separated themselves, have joined themselves to the body to say, let's go into that cave together because there's this scary smelling dragon and I'm scared to go there alone. And together we go in and find that gold coin that will set them free. And every one of us have different areas where we were lacking in those coins. Every one of us. None of us has it all together here. Except maybe Derek. No one else has it all together. But Jesus is that invaluable treasure in which in him lies all these coins. And so this isn't a removed religion that we just, well, let me suck out one of these verses, blah, 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 blah. No, they're taking us to him. Because in him is the fullness of God. In him, this treasure becomes real for us. Because if the truth says, you must suffer and lay your life down for God, cool story, but I'm not so keen. But that truth in Christ, who laid his life down for us, that we may have an eternity with God, brings life to that coin. And once it's given to us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same truth becomes real to us, then, by the Spirit, we're willing to lay our lives down for Him and for one another. But we can't muster that up by our own strength. It's impossible. And so we have to dig into this cave of gold coins, the person of Jesus. And Paul's yearning for them is that they would find this assurance in Jesus, that they would find this wholeness, this joy, this unity of heart as they dig into the riches of Christ. And for many of us, it's not this sudden moment, right, where it's all, we've got it all together. You kind of catch a glimpse of the corner of the coin that you're looking for. It's small incremental steps in our growth in the Lord. I'm like, that one looks familiar. I think that might be it. And we slowly dust it off. We move the other coins. We grow in our understanding. We walk with the Lord. He makes it real to us. Then we get to a point where that coin is valuable to us. And it's valuable because we've worked for it. 
We've dug for it. But not by our own strength. By the one who dug before us. And slayed that dragon. Who has no power over us. Other than trying to convince us. That either those coins have no value. Or we should throw them back in the pile. And he's lied to us. And that's why Paul says, as we grow in these things, if I can find the scripture, so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. Who has the most plausible arguments to convince you otherwise? The devil. And he is convincing us, saints, to lay a whole bunch of stuff down, these gold coins that God has promises for our lives. And I want us to be a rich church. Now we start with the prosperity stuff, right? I want us to be a rich church. Rich in the promises of God. Whether he takes all of our money away, I don't care. As long as we have the riches in Christ. For then all wealth will be ours for all of eternity. I don't care what happens on this planet, which is going to burn. But that phrase doesn't help every situation of our struggles. And so as we worship now, I want to ask that we could present ourselves before God, that he would remind us of the treasure that is in Christ, the ones that we have. As the musos come up, I want to ask for some of us to come up now to the microphone and share some of the gold coins of value that God has instilled in you. Just a one-liner, doesn't have to be a whole theological breakdown of the the truth but something that you've held on to for many years this gold coin that you hold on to that the lord has made so dear and precious to you anyone with the courage to come and share um christ has just brought sanity to me just a, a clear mind um comes from a family that's really um derailed mentally but he is my sanity Awesome. And that is a coin that Ani can share with many others. It's helped her. And God's intention is that she bears interest with that gold coin. Any others? The Lord has done so much in us. By you sharing your gold coin, it encourages those around us. Of course, Celia. Just the thing that he, that he gets me, that he understands me. It's helped me a lot when I felt misunderstood or couldn't express myself. He just... Always brought that thing that I understand you. I get you, Celia. Brilliant. Sir Reginald. Good morning. When I was about six or seven years old, someone taught me the Lord's Prayer. And I hang on to that Lord's Prayer every single day, every single moment. I'll pray it for every circumstance, for every need, for every person who needs a prayer of some sort. I will pray the Lord's Prayer. And that is my golden coin. Amen. Um, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will um, basically fall into place. And um, that just makes so much sense to me and pretty much how I try to live my life. And um, that's definitely what I hold on to. James 1, 2. Count it as pure joy. My big lesson in life was to be able to turn things around 
And no, no matter what you go through, there's a lesson in it. So when things are really, really bad, God has shown me a lesson. And I look for that lesson when, things are, when I'm down. I look for the lesson. And the moment I focus on the lesson, I no longer fear. So that's my gold coin. Um, my gold coin is that the, whole, the Lord has given me a heart to surrender. The more I surrender, the more I leave room for him to fill me. Brilliant. My sheep will know my voice, um, and you are my sheep. When he directs and when he, when he shares something with us, we can trust that it is his voice and follow him. Awesome. So I'll stay all day if we have to. These coins are worth it. Um, the Father Heart of God and His provision, and just um, just that for Him calling Himself our Father, and how that just gets enriched, and more and more I walk with Him. Um, just Psalm one thirty nine. Um, Psalm one thirty nine. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you belong. No matter what you feel, you belong. Colossians 1 verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Uh, Philippians 4, I don't, do not need to be anxious because the Lord is at hand. I think for me, um, when it speaks in Revelation of Jesus being called faithful and true, like that is, that's his name and that I can stand on. He's faithful and he's true always. Every circumstance is faithful and he is true. I can, I can bet my life on that. In Romans chapter 12, Paul speaks about the, the gift of encouragement and encouragement seems such a little thing but I think all of us have experienced somebody saying something to us which has just made us a meter taller and it, everyone is able to do this uh, but it's got to be genuine um, there's no bluff about it, but when somebody has done something in Christ and we just just mention that to them and, and just say, that helped me. That me. Christ comes in blessing to them through you and we can all do it. Just to contradict what Glenn said. <laughs> a couple of decades ago when my life fell apart and I was asked by a Christian brother, so how are you? And I said, well, I've hit rock bottom. And he said, praise the Lord, at least you know where the rock is.
I often, <coughs> excuse me, often feel that I don't know how to be all that I should be in Christ. Um, it just feels like I fall short all the time. But recently I felt him say very, very clearly, stay at the source. Don't worry where the river's flowing. If you stay at the source, I'll see to the fruitfulness. Um, God, uh, my coin is God delivers you from your enemies. That's nice. Um, Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I belong and I am seen by him. John 15 verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Brilliant. I am his beloved. Um, from the end of the Great Commission, I am, and I am with you always till the end of the age. Jesus loves me, yes, I know. Amen, brother. Speak, Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. So good. Um, pray. It's always got me through a lot. Um, so yeah, just always giving my heart out to the Lord and just seeing what He does, and just being patient, which is probably the hardest part for me. Brilliant. Um, mine's out of Hebrews one. It says, God has spoken various times um, and, and past times to the fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir over all things. Yeah. So. I just quickly want to say that God has given me a new heart and he can do that for everybody if he can do it for me. So that's my gem. Okay, the gold coin that I hold on to every day is the Holy Spirit. Um, something that some wise old ladies taught me very when I was very young. Get up every morning, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, and spend your time with the Lord at 5 o'clock in the morning. And that is the gold coin I hold on to. Brilliant. Um, two, two things that, uh, coins that I've held on to. One of them is the story of the, um, the man who built his house on the rock versus the, the man who built his house on the sand. Um, I think from that 
the one thing that is obvious is that the waves and the storms will come. Um, so I can't control that, but I can control how I build my life. And that's on Jesus. I will stand the test of time. Um, so that, that's the one. And then the other is um, this, the verse around those who are faithful with a little will be given much. I think it's easy to get caught up about wanting all kinds of things. <laughs> we have infinite wants and desires. But actually, what has God put in your hand? What has he blessed you with? Rather focusing on being faithful with what you do have and trust him to fill in the, the delta. Um, so my golden coin is that I really meditated on this week was, I think it's I think it's in, verse, uh, in chapter one that it says, you have received the, um, mind, uh, the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that really just stood out to me this week. Yeah. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave us, and my golden coin is the love of God. If he can give us his son, and he loves us. Awesome, awesome, awesome. happy? I feel like there's still a few more there, surely. I'll wait, I don't mind. I know we're in an instant generation, but I don't mind. So what really blessed me this week, um, and it's something I, I've actually grown a lot into, and that's like dad knows you, and even even you, like you have small things in your heart that it may, might seem insignificant, and like he loves giving those love gifts to you, and if it means like winning a I don't know a prize or whatnot, that you can actually also hold on to that, um, you know. I'm now rejoicing in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. That's our job. And the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. And that is what we do. We spend all of our energy mining for these gold coins, these truths of God that we may share with one another. This preach was by Jared in 20, 2014, um, and some of the stuff I was wrestling through with this week was an incredible blessing to me, um, and so even in that, it's assurance that God brought to me through his word, through Jared, nine years ago, and that gold coin is still available for us now to take hold of and to see the riches of Christ. And so as we enter into worship... If there's a moment um, that the Lord is speaking to you, I want you to surrender yourself to him, speak to him, let him, let him give you gold coins that he has for you. And if you have gold coins that God is wanting to continue for us to share with one another, please come find me and we'll share it.